Last week we began our study, a journey through the Gospel of Mark. Really, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. I, I did make a joke a few weeks ago that I think I say that every Sunday, but really, Mark is one of my favorites. I mean, it's action-packed. It's about the life of Jesus and the impact of, of what does it look like when God shows up in our world. As Colossians says, Jesus, the visible image of an invisible God. So if we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. If we want to know how God talks, we listen to Jesus. If we want to know how God treats people, we look at how Jesus treated people. And, I, and so I'm excited about diving into these stories uh, from, uh, from the Gospel of Mark. And so you go on and turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 1. If, if you need a Bible, we have plenty of them. We have some people walking around with them. Just slip up a hand and we'll get a Bible in your hand so you can follow along with us. But Mark begins with this declaration, this kingdom proclamation that Jesus makes, that the time has come, that the kingdom of God is at hand. So repent and believe the good news. Benji started us off last week, just a great introduction into the gospel of Mark and that, that kingdom proclamation. If you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I encourage you to go back online and, and listen to that teaching from last week that sets us up for where we're going. That these words, that the, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it's near, the presence and the power, the reality of God with us is at hand. It's present here. And so what do we do in response? Jesus says, repent, turn, change your direction, change the way that you're going. Turn, return to me and believe. To hold on to that which is true. To, to set with, with firm conviction our lives upon this reality. The kingdom of God as revealed in the person of Jesus. But the amazing thing about God's kingdom is that it, it doesn't advance by power and force, but in fact, God himself, who reigns over everything, the creator of this universe, humbled himself to become a servant. That the kingdom of God is this invitation. Now this week, we've seen what it looks like when the kingdoms of this world invade by force. But we see that the kingdom of God is a different kind of kingdom. So what kind of kingdom is it? And as we move through the Gospel of Mark, we'll see that Jesus doesn't just proclaim the kingdom of God, but he displays it, demonstrates what does it look like when God shows up. Jesus says, repent, turn, believe, to, to hold on to, to hold fast to. But then Jesus, immediately after making this kingdom announcement, goes and he finds this ragtag group of blue-collar good old boys fishing on the Sea of Galilee. And he gives them this incredible invitation. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Repent, believe, follow me. Repent. Believe and follow me. Repent, believe, and follow me. And that invitation of God through Jesus has echoed the 2,000 years since to us sitting here in Walton County, Georgia in 2022. Repent, turn, believe, 
follow me. But what kind of God is inviting us to follow? What kind of kingdom is at hand? And so today, we're going to kind of, as Mark uh, does, move quickly through some encounters with Jesus, these encounters with the kingdom of God. We're going to look at a leper, a lame man, and a guy named Levi. And because they all start with the same letter, we know it has to be of the Lord, as all sacred things do. A leper, a lame man, and Levi, and ask this question, what does it look like when God shows up? So we're going to start here in chapter 1, verse 40. And a leper came to him, being Jesus, imploring him, begging him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. And moved with with pity, that word means deep compassion, This, this anguish in his gut. He, Jesus, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So to pause in that story, the leper carried with him not just any sickness or illness, but a death sentence. Leprosy was understood as as being a curse from God. This this skin disease that began to to literally eat away at the skin, to to dissolve the nerve endings in a way that bodies just started to fall apart. And and in that culture, sickness was a sign of sinfulness. uh, That there was something that was separating you from the blessing of God. And, And if you were unclean, if there was something wrong with you, if there was something broken about you, then surely God had a problem with you. And the problem with being unclean is that unclean things made clean things unclean. And that's why you couldn't touch a dead body. That's why you couldn't be around a sick person. That's why you had to be careful about mildew in your home because the uncleanness out there could get me unclean here and then infect me in here. That it would be a sign of the the displeasure of God. This infection, this literal death that was eating me from the outside in. In fact, if you want there in your Bible next to that passage to write Leviticus 13 and 14. Because in Leviticus 13, we see what the law had set up for those who had been, uh, had, had, uh, been diagnosed with leprosy. They were told that they had to separate from their people They couldn't be a part of the camp. They had to go outside of the camp because, again, you didn't want to infect everybody else. And so these lepers would set up colonies in the caves outside of the cities there in Israel. And not only that, but you had to wear a certain garment and even with a bell around your neck just in case you accidentally stumbled upon somebody that was, that was clean, that you wouldn't let your, your grossness get them gross. And in fact, if you saw somebody coming towards you, the, bio, the, the law laid out that you were to, to cry out, unclean, unclean, you can't get near me, stay away. 
And here we have this man that's lived with this sentence of death because of this condition on his body that surely was a sign from God that there was something wrong with him. But he'd heard about this Jesus. I mean, he knew he was broken. He knew he was sick. He knew he didn't deserve to belong to his people anymore. He knew there's no way anyone could love him or accept him. There was something wrong deep inside of him that was just displaying itself out in this thing that was on him. But he'd heard about this Jesus. This Jesus that these crowds were starting to flock around, these crowds of of nobodies and and other broken people, and and that lame people were starting to to walk, and and the things that he taught, and that the spiritually oppressed were being set free, and and maybe he'd heard the words of Jesus echoing off the lake up into the caves where he dwelled. Maybe he'd heard whispers from town about this Jesus and what he was doing, but there's something about this Jesus that maybe, just maybe, he could do something for me. So he was willing to break the rules. He was willing to take a chance. He was desperate enough to do whatever it took. And he found his way to Jesus. And it says that he, he falls on his face in front of Jesus. And then he says this, this almost painful question. If you're willing. If. If you're willing. You can make me clean. And then listen to the response of Jesus. What does it look like when God shows up? Jesus turns to the man and to someone who probably hadn't felt a human touch in years, reaches down, touches him, and says, I am willing. Be clean. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Now, maybe it's not some contagious skin infection that everyone can see. In fact, we live in a world that we've gotten a really good job with, with filters that hiding all of our blemishes. And we can present this perfect reflection out to the world, but when we look in the mirror, really what we see is somebody broken and disgusting that doesn't deserve love, that doesn't deserve belonging, that I know when I'm quiet enough that deep down in here, I, I, there's something wrong with me. That if, if, if I could keep you out here, we're good. But I can't let you get close enough because if you saw what was going on in here and in here and deep in my soul, you would run away screaming. The shame that covers my life that I tried to pretend, whether with busyness or prettiness, that it's not there, but I know it's there. But maybe, just maybe, what does it look like when God shows up? And maybe the word for you this morning. And that question that we're asking, Jesus, if you're willing, is this word he speaks, I am willing. I'm willing. I don't run from you. I don't turn from you. I see you, and I will reach out. I'm not scared of your mess. I'm not sickened by your shame. I'm not embarrassed of you. The God of this universe, when he shows up, steps towards your brokenness, reaches in, touches you, I'm willing. Be clean. Jesus then says, sternly warns or, or uh, admonishes the man, don't tell anyone. He was kind of on his covert operation. He knew what would happen if the word started to spread. And, and he said, but simply instead, go and show the priests. 
In other words, that religious order that thought they knew all the rules for who was in and who was out, who was clean and who was unclean, who God was happy with and who God was angry at, go and show those people that they got God figured out what God actually does. Now, unfortunately, the man, it says, didn't obey Jesus at his word. He'd had this transformation, but there was still something off because he doesn't follow Jesus at his word and instead does, in fact, go out and tell everyone. And Jesus has to change his plans there for a minute. It continues. And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. He'd made his home there with some friends there in the city of of Capernaum. And many were gathered together. In fact, so many that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Notice how many times that Jesus is preaching. There is something he wants us to get about the kingdom of God. Jesus teaching, proclaiming, preaching, and then embodying, displaying, demonstrating what that kingdom looks like. Those of you that come with us this summer on Epic, our trip to Israel, to the Holy Land, uh, we'll go to Capernaum, and we'll stand over those excavated ruins, and you can see that to the time of Jesus, these homes and how they were built. And to imagine as you're there that, that as this crowd has heard about Jesus, seen what Jesus is doing, and they're just crowded in. They just want to get close to him, to be a part of what he's doing. They pack in the house. They fill the door. There's no way to get to them. And they came. I wrote in my Bible next to that, who? But they, God knows, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. There's a plan. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. group of friends that saw that their friend, hopeless and helpless, couldn't do anything for himself, but knew maybe, just maybe, if we could get him to the feet of Jesus, he could do something. So you can imagine they're all excited about this, and they pick their friend up. We'll call him Steve. And, and they've got Steve, and they're carrying Steve in, and they're you know, talking amongst themselves. This is going to be amazing. This is going to be great. we just got to get him to Jesus and see what Jesus does. And they get to the door, and they can't get to Jesus. You imagine that discouragement. I was thinking about this story. Actually, last night we were with some friends and were remembering a time that another friend was moving and had a hot tub in their backyard. And it told us that if anyone wanted the hot tub, they could have it. They just had to come get it. And so I told another friend, a, a, named David, that you, could, uh, that you can have this hot tub. You just got to go get it. Unfortunately, I was unavailable the day they had to go get the hot tub. But, but I think this is a great idea. This is easy enough. How hard can it be? It's just a hot tub. You need a couple guys in a trailer. You can go do this. Well, they get to our friend's house and realize that it's not just any hot tub, it's a massive hot tub. And it's built underneath the deck, which they're pretty sure got built after they installed the hot tub, down a hill covered in pine straw. And they get to this hot tub, and they look at it, and all of them go, nope, didn't really need a hot tub anyway. 
except for one of them. A guy named Matt. Matt steps back, looks at it, does some calculations in his head, goes, we can do this. And sure enough, because of Matt, they finagled that way out of him under that porch, up the hill, onto the trailer, and to our friend Dave's house. And I just imagine these three friends, or four friends, getting to, the, to this crowd of Jesus, and most of them stepping back going, nope, except for Matt. He looks at it and goes, well, you know, there's a way. They're willing to do what it takes to get his friend to Jesus. And they climb up on the roof and they start uh, it's these thatched roofs over these home structures. They begin to, to dig their way through. And I just wonder, you know, Jesus' reaction while all this is going on. First little sawdust starts sprinkling from the ceiling. You wonder if he paused or if he just kept teaching like nothing was happening. Like those of you that were here a few weeks ago when the lights were just going on and off for no reason at all. And I tried to pretend that it wasn't happening and did a horrible job of pretending that nothing was happening. Or Jesus just paused and watched it happen. And all of a sudden, in that little hole, a face appears. And they start digging some more because they got to get a full-grown man down on a mat down through this hole. And they lower their friend down. And all this nervous energy and all of this excitement. And, and they're getting their friend Steve to Jesus. Steve's not in the Bible. That, that, that totally extra-biblical information right there. Their friend in front of Jesus says that Jesus, and I love this part, that Jesus sees their faith. The faith of the friends that moves him to act on behalf of their friend, their helpless friend. And then Jesus says this surprising thing. And you almost wonder if it caught the friends off guard because they knew what their friend needed was to be able to walk again. And Jesus doesn't say anything about walking. What Jesus says is, son, I love the intimacy of that word too. The God of this universe shows up and refers to this messed up, crazy group of people as sons and daughters. Son, your sins are forgiven. That he knew, Jesus knew, that though they thought the greatest need for their friend was that he could walk again, Jesus knew there was a deeper need. That there was something in their friend's heart that was separating them from connection with God in heaven. That the greatest and most important thing that, that Jesus could do for their friend is to reconnect him with the God who made him. More important than the pain he felt on the outside was the brokenness on the inside. And Jesus speaks right to that pain. Your sins are forgiven. Now, there's some religious people around, and they don't like this at all. They listen to this, and then they're thinking to themselves, whoa, 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 wait a second. Only God can forgive sins. Not some rabbi from Nazareth. I mean, how could any human being declare that the things that we've done against God are washed away? I mean, what man has any right to look at the ways that we have betrayed and turned our back on the God of this universe, the ways we've declared allegiance to all kinds of other kingdoms, but especially the kingdom we've built for ourselves, and say, I've got you. No one can do that. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus, being God, knows what they're thinking. 
and turns to them and says, which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take up your mat and walk. But that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Take up your mat and walk. And sure enough, the lame man, it says, jumps up, healed, made whole, picked up his bed, and walked out. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. For you, where are the places in your life that you feel helpless? Paralyzed. Stuck. We're the places that we need Jesus to step in, to meet that deeper need, the things that would separate us from him, to begin that inner work of transformation that would lead to that outer work of restoration. I am willing. You are forgiven. So Jesus goes out again beside the sea there, and all the crowd was coming to him. And again, he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Short little interaction. I don't, we don't quite get the gravity of what's going on, but if you've been a part of a church for really any period of time, you've probably heard of the stigma of what it meant to be a tax collector in that society. Now, most people I have met are not big fans of the IRS. I apologize for anyone here that works for the IRS. But at least we know that's our own government that we're paying taxes to. We may not like it. We may try to figure out every way to minimize it. But at least we know that these are duly elected officials that I am giving my portion of my income towards. That wasn't the case here. This was an occupying army that was exacting taxes on the people that they, were, uh, that they had taken over in order to pay for the war against them. And there's a handful of people that figured, hey, it's better to, to join them to fight them that were willing to be the agents of this rock occupying Roman army and to, to, to go and to gather the taxes from their own people. They were despised. It was notorious that the tax collectors were the outsiders. They were the friends of Rome. And not only that, it was generally understood that the tax collectors, being as despicable and despised as they are just for siding with the, with the Romans, also were pretty greedy and would put a little in their pocket for themselves, taking advantage of their people. They were hated, condemned. And what does Jesus do? What does it look like when God shows up in the face of years of broken and selfish and greedy decisions and choices? What does God do in the face of our guilt? Follow me. Follow me. 
It's as if he's saying to Levi, who ironically, his name comes from the Levite priests. His very name means that he's to represent the presence of God for the people, but now all he represents is the presence of the forces against them that hate the people. But he turns to this man. It's almost like he said, follow me. All of those roads that you've been walking up to this point don't have to define where you go from here. And maybe that's what you need this morning. Some of you are carrying the guilt of maybe decisions and choices from years ago. And some of you maybe are carrying some guilt from decisions and choices from yesterday. But what does it look like when God shows up? That these roads that you've been walking down, that you know you've run into some dead ends or maybe just face first into some brick walls. These roads that have led you into some miry pits and some awful places, some deep, dark valleys. These roads that have been your past don't have to define your future. That Jesus steps in wherever you are on the road. Condemned, despised, judged, hated, isolated, alone. A victim or a victimizer. Jesus steps in. Whether you're 6, 16, or 60, the roads you've walked up to this point don't have to be the roads you continue down. And for Levi, though it doesn't seem like anything externally on his body, like the leper changes, there's something that goes on in his soul, and he is willing to leave everything to follow this Jesus, to pledge allegiance to a different kingdom. I'm willing. You're forgiven. Follow me. And I love this part of the story. Jesus shows up in the middle of Levi's mess. Levi, also known as Matthew, who ends up writing one of the the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. is willing to drop everything to go after this Jesus. And what is the first place that Jesus takes him? Not to a Bible study, not on a mission trip, not to learn the four spiritual laws. The first place Jesus takes him after this follow me invitation is to throw a giant party for all of his sinner friends. I love that about Jesus. Well, again, the religious leaders show up, and they don't like this very much. They have very clear rules about who's clean and who's unclean, who's in and who's out, who God loves and who God is angry with. And so he said, they say to Jesus, how could you be dining with these sinners, this tax collector? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What does it look like when God shows up in our shame, in our pain, in our fear, in our guilt? I'm willing. You're forgiven. Follow me. 
this picture of Jesus as he reclines at the table with these sinners and tax collectors. There was something about Jesus, the very presence of God, that sinners could relax when they were with him. But it's interesting that it notes it wasn't just with Jesus that they reclined, but Jesus and his disciples. There was something about the people that hung out with Jesus that created the kind of environment where people whose lives were a wreck and a mess and untouchable and despised and condemned could open their hearts and let down their guard and give space for God to change their lives. And I just wonder the lepers and the tax collectors and the sinners of our world today walked into our church, how relaxed would they feel? I hope they know. For some of you, I hope you know we would throw a giant party for you and do anything to get you to the feet of Jesus. The only one that can go to that deeper place where we need the true healing and the true forgiveness and the true transformation. The leper, the lame man, and Levi. And these are just great stories if they don't, if we don't actually give space for them to begin to intersect with our lives. So just right now, I just want to pause. Just give space. What does God, what does it look like for God to show up in your life right now? Where is the kingdom of God breaking in? What are the places in your life where you feel untouchable? A sense of shame, of ugliness, this not worthy grossness. Are you willing to ask Jesus? Jesus, are you willing to go there with me? Into that memory? Into that ugliness in my heart? into that hurt, into that pain? Jesus, are you really willing to step into my mess? What are the places in your life where you feel helpless right now? Stuck, paralyzed, lame, You ask, Jesus, is there anything in my life, in my heart, in my soul that you need to deal with to set me free? Where are you showing up for me in the deeper places to lift me up, to move me forward? Jesus, where do I need to recognize your authority in my life? What are the places in your life where you feel guilty, where you are guilty? Recognizing the things you've done, the choices you've made that aren't in line with the heart of God. The places of selfishness and self-protection, of pride, of greed, of lust, 
of envy, the ways that we slander and despise others, the way we sow seeds of division and discord, the lies we tell, whether from our silence or our actual words. the ways you've taken advantage of others, wounded those around you. Can you ask, Jesus, will you forgive me? Cleanse me, purify me. Will you exchange my guilt for your righteousness? In other words, will you surrender to Jesus, the true king. Will you surrender to Jesus, the true king, in your shame, in your hurt, in your fear, in your guilt? Because the God of this universe, when he shows up, doesn't follow the rules set up by men. I am willing. You are forgiven. Follow me. As we continue in worship and create space to just respond to whatever God is doing, maybe just to get on our knees and just to, maybe for the first time, Maybe the ways God is waking us back up to his reality. To just surrender our lives back to him. But I don't want us to miss this. What's the last thing? For some of us, we need to respond to how Jesus is inviting us to encounter him. But there are some of you that know what it's like for Jesus to show up. Maybe, probably for many of you, that you know, maybe you're more like the, the, the leper who you were so desperate, you were willing to chase after Jesus and fall on your face in front of him. And maybe some of you just need to remember your own story and how Jesus responded to you, to you in that moment of pain and honesty and vulnerability. Or maybe for some of you, you were more like the lame man and it was a group of friends that, that took you by the hand and led you to the feet of Jesus where your life was changed. And maybe you need to remember that part of your story, that you weren't alone in this journey. When you thought that you were stuck and there was nothing that, that anyone could do, some people showed up and walked with you to that place of healing. Or maybe you're more like Levi and... God showed up in your mess and your mistakes when you weren't even looking for him. And now we stand on the other side of this encounter with, with the kingdom that has crashed in. For the ways that Jesus has shown up in our shame and our fear and our pain and our guilt. And, and now the question is, what does it look like to follow Jesus and that kind of kingdom into this world? Because the crazy thing, we led with this, that Jesus is the visible image of an invisible God. But the crazy thing Jesus did, which when we get to heaven, I'm going to have lots of questions about, 
is that he made this decision to look at a bunch of imperfect, messed up people and say the outrageous declaration that you are now the light of the world. He called you, me, us, the body of Christ. Get that. In other words, we now, in all of our mess and imperfection, wherever we are on this journey and on this road, we are now the visible image of an invisible God. And what does the world see when it looks at us? Are we willing to go to the lepers of our day? To those considered outcasts or unclean or gross, hated and despised and judged and willing to step into their pain with them and actually reach out a hand and touch their lives, not to turn away, not to despise, not to, to distance ourselves from their mess, but remembering that Jesus stepped into our mess, willing to step into theirs. Will we go there? We'll be the kind of people that will do whatever it takes to get our friends to the feet of Jesus. That will sacrifice our time and our energy and our resources and willing to cut a hole in the ceiling if it takes it to get our friends to encounter the healing presence and the forgiving touch of our God. What do we do in the face of the guilty and the condemned, the selfish and the greedy, the prideful? Do we step back and throw our stones of judgment or do we step in and extend an invitation that no matter what they have done, no matter what they have decided in their own, on their own roads from the beginning to the point that we encounter them, it doesn't have to define their future. Think of the most lost person in your life. Can you believe for them that, that when the kingdom crashes in, when God shows up, no matter what they have done and what they have decided, their past doesn't have to determine their future. Can we love that way? Because you are loved that way. Lord, may we be that kind of church. May we be that kind of people. Let's pray. Lord, we invite you to speak into our hearts even right now your word living and active. God, if it's places of shame or places of hurt or places of guilt that we need to receive your grace and your forgiveness, your healing, give us the courage to be honest with you about that. If we need to let go of the kingdoms that we have built to return to you, the true kingdom of God, May we surrender our lives to you, King Jesus. And God, if you're inviting us to step in, to engage in the brokenness of this world, so 
Will you give us opportunity and will you give us clarity? Will you lead us forward? So God, whether we need to come and get on our knees and just in a posture of, of repentance and confession, surrender, come back to you. Or Lord, as we take communion, we pray that Psalm 139 prayer, Lord, search our hearts. Know us. Is there any wayward thought in us, anything that's apart from you? We step in, speak into those places. That as we take communion, this act of faith, we remember this bread, this symbol of your body given for us, the very presence of God with us now, today. That cup, that reminder, that symbol of your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we are no longer unclean because you are willing to become cursed that we might be blessed. We are forgiven because you are willing to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, have your way with us.